HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Heritage Foods USA. HeritageFoodsUSA.com We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes. At our number change today, although I hate it too, but each time the phone would ring, they'd want to speak to you, and it hurts to tell them you're not here with me, maybe then old telephone will let me be. It's not in the book now, so you better write it down Just in case your love for me should ever come around You may want to call and break the news to me Just call Lonesome at 77 203 All right, Johnny Telephone beside me all the time Hoping you might want to call And say you change your mind If you do then, darling, you know where I'll be I'm at Lonesome 77203 You're the only one I'm giving our new number to So if the phone should ring, well 
then I'll know it's you You may want to call and have that love for me I'm at lonesome 77203 Just call lonesome 77203 Oh man, that was great. Johnny Lamb and Friends, Johnny Lamb and Co. Honey Fingers. Honey Fingers. Honey Fingers. Really amazing. I don't think I've ever seen a, a steel guitar uh, played up close. I think I've always kind of just like seemed like a little like magic watching from stage. So what? What did you think? It's awesome. It's kind of mesmerizing to watch. I still don't really quite understand the alchemy of it, but it's uh, it's pretty great. Uh, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Darren Bresnitz is in Florida uh, celebrating uh, a birthday. Um, but so, and always in this place, we have Carter Adams, uh, co-host. I'm glad to be back here. Um, we'll, we'll sh- yeah, we'll... Yeah, we're, sh- we're sharing. We'll, sh- yeah. we'll share. Yeah, we'll share. It's, um, it's important to, to hear the music. There's a wine tasting that's going on out there. I literally saw Carter's eyes just like light up. You're like, oh, what, do you, what do you feel like they're drinking out there? Uh, <laughs> it looks like we have two pet nets and some sort of German Riesling. So, Tom, you can see why this is our, like, in-house wine expert. Yeah. Uh, Tom Milan, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Great to be here. Really nice to have you on here. Um, we are going to be talking about the Meat Hook, Meat Book, which I really love as a name for a book. How did you come up with the name? Um, <laughs> <laughs> went with the most obvious yeah. option, I yeah. guess. Um, it's uh, really exciting to have you on here. Big fan. Really love what you've done. I think we... I first met you when you were at uh, Marlowe and Donner's. Yeah. Back and then when you were covered in blood. Oh, back big, in the day. With your big uh, tool belt. My, and Darren was like, that's, that's the man right there. That's the, <laughs> that's the vegetarian turned butcher. And I was like, oh, okay. Cool. That's pretty, pretty amazing. And uh, since then, gone on to open a meat hook. Sandwich Shop is doing well. Yep. And Rippers. And Rippers. Oh, man. I was great. at Rippers yesterday. That is by far the best hot dog I've ever had. I mean, we tr- we were there a couple of weeks ago. We tried. There was literally like an hour plus wait for uh, for a burger. I had my hot dog at eleven. Yeah. A.M. because I, yeah, I knew I wasn't going to get it in the afternoon. I don't even go out there anymore. <laughs> you can't. You can't. If you can't jump the line, the rest of us are fucked. Yeah. No. I, just, I go out at dawn to like go like <laughs> pretend like I know how to surf, which I don't. Uh, and then it's just an excuse to be first in line for the for the food. Um, I just I just go by and like say hey to everybody like setting up and then like go. Home. It's uh, chaos there. I can tell you that it's doing very well. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I can <laughs> yeah. really tell you it's doing very, very, yeah. very well. Turns out everybody loves Rockaway. Everyone loves Rockaway. Uh, a lot of people just like rock. I mean, but it's kind of we spent the weekend out there, and it's like it's totally it's its own way of life. It's not, it's not New York. It's not anything. It's like the Rockaway vibe is like we stayed down on 59th Street, and it was like a whole other like. Oh yeah. Like yeah, it's it's not New York City. It's, it's, yeah. it's something different. Um, so, uh, well, congratulations on the book. Yeah, thank you. It's really uh, exciting. Um, let's talk about where did the inspiration come? I mean, like the world is full of cookbooks. So what, what was the inspiration or what did you have to say that was different in this one than, than other, you know, meat or, you know, larger books like this? Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the inspiration really started, I mean, like, I, I started to think about wanting to write this book, uh, before we even, you know, did Marlowe and Daughters or The Meat Hook or any of that, uh, just because there weren't that many good books on butchering out there, that, or there were none that were like really contemporary. Um, the only good meat book that was out there was, uh, at that point, a relatively obscure 
um, book by Hugh Farley Winningstall uh, from the UK. And uh, so I, you know, sort of got in my head that like, okay, once I like, you know, wasn't, <laughs> once I like exceeded the threshold for bullshit motherfucker, like, and I actually <laughs> could like speak about it with authority, I wanted to write a b- book. Um, and then, it, you know, uh, and then life happened, you know, we, we uh, uh, left Marlon Daughters, opened the Meat Hook, uh, you know, it took us about uh, two years to get that, like, in some any sort of, like, stable uh, situation. And by the time um, I had enough mental space to actually go out and, like, this is not really about writing the book. It's really about doing the book proposal, which is a mm-hmm. huge, awful barrier to entry. I feel like it's, uh, it's like hazing to get you <laughs> into the club of being able to be, even be uh, thought of as a <clears throat> an author. Um, and... Uh, so by the time that happened, like the the landscape had changed a lot. There were already like a lot of sort of you know real how to, you know textbooky kind of books out there, and I got kind of bummed out for a second. And then I was like, oh great, I just get to do all the fun shit, right? Um, and it's at that point that it really like coalesced as this sort of uh, um, psychedelic love letter to uh, you know sustainable meat and uh, to the meat hook as a weird, strange entity in the world, and um, all of our you know various friends uh, in including a small chapter on the, here at Roberta's. Uh, so speaking of wow. sustainable meat, um, you know, every week there's some report that's coming out that beef is irresponsible or eating meat is, you know, you know, bad carbon footprint. What are the arguments that you put forth to, like, being a essentially modern-day meat eater and how it fits into, you know, climate change and where the world is, is well, heading? When, when you're talking about uh, cattle production or pig production or growing any sort of meat... Um, you know, th- there's there's two different worlds. It's it's apples and orangutans. There's the, you know, there's the dominant, uh, you know, industrial meat production paradigm, which is you know not sustainable um, and is not like in tune with either the way that the animals want themselves to exist in the world, um, and is also out of uh, step with. <coughs> sorry. Um, out of step with the environment and is actually making the environment a lot, you know, worse place to be. And then you have pasture raised stuff where they're raised, you know, where all the, the animals are, you know, raised out on pasture. And, uh, especially the, the beef production thing, it's just like, it, it's, it's a total fallacy. Like the, it, yes, it's like the global warming thing does apply to intensive cattle production where they're in like CAFOs and they're being fed corn, which they n- never would eat in the normal, mm-hmm. um, you know, if they were like just sort of, you know, naturally out, out in nature. Um, and you have, you know, and it's not just the methane, but it's also all this, these massive amounts of like ultra toxic, uh, you know, concentrated uh, manure, you know, like these manure Ponds like and all the that. runoff and everything like that that destroys exactly. the water. <clears throat> well, and, and not only does that, you know, so that runs off and it gets absorbed in the ground. And with that liquid, that mechanical water that's coming out of those manure ponds is going into the ground and into our water supply, our groundwater supply, you know, all kinds of steroids and hormones and God knows what, um, which is, you know, uh, making, uh, you know, using antibiotics becoming you know, like not very useful, you know, that's, you have all these people that have these staph, you know, infections they get from hospitals and they like eat their leg and stuff because you can't treat them with conventional antibiotics anymore. And that's almost purely because of, uh, animal husbandry. How do you find your, um, your partners, your suppliers, you know, what is the process of going to make sure that they keep it sustainable, they keep it, you know, animals like a healthy mindset and that it's responsible. Well, I mean, we find everybody 
the you know we we were lucky because we were uh working for Andrew Tarlow and Mark Firth and uh you know, uh, we were there at the sort of dawn of uh, the Brooklyn sort of farm to table, at least as far as the meat part went. And we got to uh, <clears throat> get uh, different animals from like 35 different farms. And then we actually got to go out and, you know, visit a number of these different farms. And uh, uh, so, and then it just sort of coalesced from there. We could sort of cherry picked the ones that we really liked when we opened the meat hook and then we sort of expanded from there. And it's, I mean, there's kind of like the upstate internet. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's basically like, Hey, I'm looking for this. You ask one of your farmers or, or actually the, the main switchboard of the, of the upstate internet is really the slaughterhouse guys. Right. So you bring them a case of beer and a couple bottles of whiskey and you're like, Hey, I'm looking for this. And they're like, Oh, I got a guy. What What are some of the things that you'd be looking for? Well, but, I mean, one of the very specific things, yeah. like, we don't do lamb. We call it lamb because if you call something mutton or hogget, people get very confused. I don't think I've ever heard hogget. Yeah. So it's in between, basically, like, yearling lamb and yeah. uh, mutton, um, which is, like, over two and a half years old or something yeah. like that. It depends on who you talk to and if you're in Britain or the United States. But it doesn't matter. But what we look for is hair sheep as opposed to curly wool sheep because uh, hair sheep don't produce lanolin. And we look for those as mutton or hogget. Um, which means they're older. They're a lot. They have a lot more intermuscular fat, which means they're a lot juicier. They have a much uh, fuller flavor, but they're not gamey and um, you know, uh, rammy or muttony or whatever because they don't because they lack the gene that produces lanolin because they have hair instead of wool. So that's a very specific thing that we look for. That's very difficult to find. Is it out there? Oh, it's out there, but you have to. I mean, you're not going to find it uh, by googling around. You know right. what I mean? You have to like, you know, they're like, they're like, no, like, no guy. Yeah, we have yeah. no guy. Meet at the underground parking lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you have to meet use, at the silo by at three a.m. Exactly. You have to use the hood internet in upstate New York. Uh, have you discussed? Have they also equally tried to like push additional cuts on you? Like, oh, have you ever thought about using this part or like these animals? And like, they've educated you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've learned a tremendous amount about animal husbandry and like, you know, uh, where every, you know, where this, um, where the, where the upstate farming business and animal husbandry and all this stuff is really headed on a, in a practical way. But as far as cuts, I mean, we, we get, you know, we get in whole animals, so we're, we're dealing with pretty much everything nose to tail, whether we want to or not. And really the challenge is, you know, um, we can choose not to figure out what to do with something, but we still have to pay for it and then throw it away. Right. So uh, it definitely puts an onus on us to like use every single part. Um, have there been any like, eureka moments, or what are some of the eureka moments in like the farm in the nose to tail movement? Like, fuck, I can't believe that actually worked. That actually tasted good. Um, it's actually not a whole lot of like, oh, fuck, I can't believe that tasted good. It's mostly like, uh, really, the, the aha moment was really, oh, people in New York really like their dogs. And so <laughs> a, a big portion of like when you, when you, when you get a pig, you know, like uh, about 10 to 15% of the weight of that pig is like the skin on the outside, which you like people in the United States don't like pork chops with the skin on the outside or pork roast mm. with the skin on the outside, even though they're super delicious. So we have to figure out like, what the fuck do we do with like, you know, this 150 pounds of pork skin we get a week. And so we've just started twisting it up and dehydrating it. That was actually a, uh, um, one of our main cutters who now uh, he's down in uh, Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, and they, they've opened their own uh, butcher shop sort of um, on the uh, on the, the meat hook tip. Um, and uh, that's been that's been a huge thing because it's like, oh, you can take this thing that we used to throw away and now charge like a dollar a piece for like these little like twisty dehydrated dog 
chew toys, you know. Mm-hmm. That's pretty great. Um, before we uh, we play a song, you want to shout out some of your farms, your people. Your, uh, yeah. your network, yeah, <laughs> my upstate hood inter- yeah. internet. Um, or do you want to keep it in your pockets? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, uh, no, they're, they're all great guys, and I mean, we, we you know, we, we don't sign contracts with any of these guys. It's all handshake, and we've been doing business for a long time with these people. But uh, um, yeah, I'd say uh, 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 Lee and Georgia at Kinderhook Farm, uh, Dustin uh, Gibson of Gibson Farm up in uh, Eagle Bridge. Um, the nicest man that ever lived, Bruce Conover uh, at uh, um, oh God, Sir William Berkshire um, up in uh, Curryville. I'm forgetting some other. Oh, um, Hardwick Co-op. Um, they're they're they slaughter at uh, the D-backs place. Uh, it's a family-owned slaughterhouse in Troy, Pennsylvania. They're all great people. Uh, that's great. So we're gonna play a quick song, uh, and then we're gonna come back talk to Tom more about the the book, uh, International Butchery at Different Cuts, and. Uh, just a little bit more about getting inside the animal.
Uh, welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We have Tom Mylan, author of the Meat Hook Meat Book. Uh, one of the things that I really like about the book is it talks about um, how different cuts of animals are viewed differently from around the world, particularly tongue. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, you know like everything weird, huge in Japan. Uh, well, I mean, actually, uh, my grandmother is Hungarian, and like tongue was like a big part of what she liked to cook, like tongue sandwiches. Right. Um, but uh, we, n- I don't know if we ever were like, oh my god, like this delicacy was just you know that you know they kind of just liked it. But when I was reading that, Japanese are just like love the like tongue base, if you will. Yeah. Um, what are some well, of the other like? But, but as a steak, instead <laughs> yeah. of something that you brine and then like simmer, you know. Right. Oh, crazy. I mean, I would have to say that when I go to Korean barbecue, tongue is definitely... Oh, like man. My, it's, it's, it's so, so good. good. It's yeah. really good. It's I a, don't think I can... Do, I have to, it has to be sliced pretty thin, because otherwise I, I kind of think about it too much, but... Yeah, it can be... It's definitely... It's so know, good. It seems like you're eating tongue a little bit. It's scary looking. Yeah. Yeah. It's a... It's a... It's, <laughs> a, it's a beast. I don't know. I There was... um The Breslin used to do, like, a, a tongue sandwich where they just didn't hide the fact... Uh, and it was like okay until like one day I looked down and I just kind of psyched myself out a little bit. But it was traditional about that. What are um, what are some of, like the other international cuts that you know don't necessarily translate here, but just you've learned from your studies that are delicacies or more elevated? I mean nothing. No, well, I mean beef heart um, is is a you know a huge thing that we really like. Uh, basically, if you uh, and that's just something that we just sort of discovered. It's not necessarily like. Um, you know, there's different cultures that do like usually like a you know steak and kidney pie or something like that, or like a beef heart stew or something. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of the cuts are actually just cuts that are normally not eaten as a steak and or or a chop or whatever, um, and they're um, sort of gr- they're just basically ground up into ground beef in the United States. Um, you know, there's basically here there's maybe I don't know ten sort of like rec- well recognized cuts of steak, well, probably less actually. Um, and at our shop, we have like 20, you know, because we're digging out every single part from, um, you know, especially the shoulder. There's just a ton of stuff from the shoulder that uh, is really good, like really tender, like the calf muscle, for instance. There's a, uh, a recipe in there um, uh, for, I think it's called heel two ways or something. But one of them is as a grilled thing. And you just, you know, you'd think that it coming from the shank, it would be really tough and gross and whatever but if you actually like seam it out <clears throat> it's really lovely and it's like you know really uh lean and super good rare and doesn't have any sort of um of that uh you know organy flavor that kind of turns people off i'm not a big organ guy by the way really uh, yeah no. i would be i'm surprised to hear that i mean beef heart pig heart uh, veal heart lamb hearts um that kind of thing lamb ki- or i mean it's not kidney uh lamb liver is actually really great chicken livers are great but hmm. other than that i you know the kidneys not and all the that brains I mean, the, the the brains taste good, but again, it's one of those things where, yeah. like, you know, if you have more than a couple bites and you start thinking about it too hard, it kind of, like, squeezes you out a little bit. No, I totally get it. Yeah. Like, you know, like, if I don't know, it's like tongue. If it's sliced thin and everything and they told me it was something else, I'd think it was something else. But then the minute you think about it, well, you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I feel like that kind of stuff is, like, 50%, you know, is it prepared properly so it's not gross? And then the other 50% is, is really just cultural programming. Like, what were we brought up on, you know? Right. Uh, I wasn't brought up on any of that shit. You know? No, <laughs> so, I mean, you were vegetarian. To go from vegetarian to... Well, I wasn't brought up vegetarian. Yeah. I just went vegetarian for, like, you know, it was college. What do you, what do you do? You yeah. know, what else are you going to do? <laughs> uh, How and, else are you going to woo women in the late 90s? Oh, yeah. Vegan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
So, uh, you know, I, it sounds, you know, for how late you got kind of started in life for eating meat, and I'm sure, like, the butchery was not immediate, you know, what are some of the tips that you give to people or you talk about in the book about starting to pick up knife skills? Um, I mean, I, there's, there's, I mean, there's some knife skills as far as butchering goes yeah. that, like, will keep you from um, getting carpal tunnel and uh, keep you from, like, uh, belly sticking yourself. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, they're, they're pretty like broad concepts. They're basically like, you know, make sure that your knife is sharp, have the right kind of knife, um, let the knife do the work. You know, a lot of people um, sort of, you know, have a dull knife and they do this herky-jerky motion and uh, don't understand that you're supposed to use the, the motion of the whole blade to like um, make the cuts and that, that just uh, reduces the wear and tear on your wrist and hand, but also uh, makes you uh, significantly less likely to cut yourself. Um, which is something that I, you know, learned the hard way. Yeah. What's the, what's the worst? Um, I mean the, the worst as far as like the grossest thing to me personally sure. is, um, <laughs> like three Christmases ago, it was uh Christmas Eve. And so we, we used to work basically like 10 days straight, um, 12 hours a day going into Christmas. Thank God we don't have to do that anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just deboning something for an order and my knife slipped and it went in um, by the the top knuckle of my thumb and went under the skin this this boning knife and then came out right at the base yeah. of my nail okay you just lost about how many listeners right now you're, you're, yeah <laughs> it didn't really bleed a whole lot but i am just now getting the feeling back in my thumb wow okay uh, really that's that's probably the worst as far as like personal discomfort and just like really being like oh, I'm gonna go throw up now. Yeah, you know, just sort of like wrapping your hand in a towel and just being like I'm gonna run to the bathroom real quick and just because I have to throw up. And my my question changes the subject completely. What is the uh, what, what's the most underrated thing out there? You know, you were talking about lamb or like in five years, what you know, looking at the forecast and looking at like things that are sustainable and yummy and everything. Like, what are we not eating that you think we should be and that people don't really recognize? Oh wow. Um, hmm. I guess it really depends on the region because every, you know, every uh, sort of different uh, environment has a different sort of like unsung animal kind of thing. I really think that uh, the advan- the advan- uh, advancements in um, rotational uh, grazing actually of rabbits. So like right now, most rabbits are, are raised in these like little hutches that are stacked on top of one another and it's like kind of, you know, it's 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 a, you know, it's kind of a gross system. They're right. just like these little cages. Yeah. But uh, there's there's a number of people that are actually um, uh, figuring out ways to do them much the same way that we're doing pasture-raised chickens. So they're, it's, it's very infrastructure light. It costs like a fraction of what it costs to build these hutches and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like a, a big, you know, like 20 by 20 um, by, you know, like two feet high, uh, like, mesh box with like a little feeder and then like a little water and then you basically like um a couple times a day you just pick it up and very slowly drag it um you know over to the next spot with like fresh new grass, grass. Huh. exactly and as long as there's new grass the rabbits won't burrow under because that was the, that's the big thing that's why they're kept uh-huh. in hutches right. is because usually they'll they just, want more food they want more grass and so they'll they'll burrow under if you try to like you know do it like you would you know uh con- any sort of conventional thing and, you know, honestly, like if you were to put grass fed cattle in a paddock 
where you didn't move them enough, they do the same thing. They'll jump over those fences or run right through them if they're, you know, if they're just like, fuck, dude, can we get some grass? Yeah. So it makes sense. Uh, so I think that'll be one of those things, um, especially because you don't really have to, you know, you can, you can you know, only feed them like you know, a minimal amount of grain and they'll get the rest of it from, from uh, all the, the various vegetation. You just have to move them a little bit more often. So I think that'll be bringing down the, 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 the price and bringing up the animal welfare of, of uh, rabbits. And I, uh, there's a place in uh, New Jersey that's actually doing uh, uh, hair, which is uh, the sort of large, strange-looking, gawky, um, British uh, version of like what we know as, right. as rabbit the here. The big rabbit. Yeah, and it has a completely different flavor, and it on- but it only really maintains that flavor if it's actually like raised out in grass. So I think that uh, you'll be seeing more and more um, of uh, you know, hair, probably like five six years from now maybe sooner there you go because a, a big thing is is market differentiation you know if you're like just getting started like you know it's a good place to be like oh you're the hair guy you know what i mean right. word gets around the uh you know the uh the, the restaurant internet in new york and it's like oh dude i got the hair guy right but it also seems like the you know the difference between rabbit and hair is enough that like people don't come with these preconceived notions like they would for grass-fed versus corn-raised beef because like no i mean how many people eat rabbit on a regular basis well sure yeah <laughs> so like you're kind of starting from zero which yeah, is nice exactly um speaking of the thing even right now like you know what are some of the cuts that you feel like are unsung heroes and you know every couple of years someone's like oh we found like a new piece of cow right. or a new piece of like the chicken or something right. turkey it's like there's no way that you found it's like what is something that, like, actually, this is pretty good? I've seen this. I've tried this. Or have they all been kind of, like, sh- put, well, had their day in the sun? I mean, uh, they, I mean, amazingly, they haven't. I mean, basically, the way that the restaurant cycle works with those cuts is, like, you get, um, you know, uh, like a, a chef that has a, a fair amount of butchering knowledge and understands how the musculature of the animal works, which is actually kind of what I've built into the book in a sort of, like, really janky sort of... Uh, um, da Vinci code is hopefully by the time you've read it, you'll have like that kind of a basic understanding like that of how meat works, but they'll sort of look through the price sheet of like, okay, so what is, what is dirt cheap? You know, it's like a couple years ago, it was oxtails a couple years before that it was short ribs. You know, it's constantly going to be, you know, pigtails, pig heads, like all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I, I think that the only real territory left is probably, um, beef shank. I mean, that's still mm-hmm. really inexpensive. Um, it's like I think cheaper than bone marrow, which is weird. The bone marrow kind of jumped the shark. Like I mean, that's that's probably all Gabrielle Hamilton. I think um, it's a hundred percent her. It is. Yeah. I mean, let's. I mean, I was just qualifying it just not to make yeah. people mad. But no, it's it's all her. She yeah. did it. Like Prune did that way before anybody else made. Uh, um, when I, the first, as, you know, when I first moved to New York, like twelve years ago, somebody was like the first thing when I had a conversation about f- food. They were just like, "Oh, you have to go to Prune," and I was like, "Oh, okay." Um, but yeah, I think um, Shank. Um, I don't know. There's not a whole lot left at this point. I mean, hopefully Beef Heart, all the hearts. Uh, I think those will come on uh, because they are really delicious. You just have to treat them properly, and that's another thing that chefs are looking for is something like um, if you actually know how to prepare them properly, they're actually like really, really good. It's not like you're trying to gold leaf a dog turd like you know a lot of you know these like p- places that do like a lot of offal. It's really difficult to get the offal that's fresh enough that, you know, and then treat it properly to make it actually taste good and have a texture that, like, the average, you know, diner, even in New York, who has, you know, is a better diner than most places, is going to be like, yes, awesome, thank you. 
And then uh, last question is, uh, what is your favorite cut? Any animal, prison meal, last day, what do you? What cut of animal are you getting? <laughs> I mean, whole I'll, animal kingdom, sushi. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean it's Hot not. Joking. It's not far from there. I mean, I have to say, like my desert island, uh, you know, death row meal is. Uh, Two ninety-nine cent bean and cheese burritos from Del Taco with extra yes. cheese. Wow! Extra cheese and extra green sauce. I mean, yeah. honestly, like when, when I'm really depressed, like and uh, you know, super hungover or whatever, and like I'm home alone, like that's what I do. I go to the store and I spend all day making refried beans from scratch with like a ton of lard, and then make myself a bean and cheese burrito. I mean, and you know, make the green sauce from scratch from like the frozen hatch chilies in the freezer. But I mean, like a bean and cheese burrito for me, it's like the. I, mean, I like it. I'd rather eat that than a steak nine times out of ten. It I just like takes it. a lot more labor. I like it, and that chapter is coming in the next book. Yeah, yeah. It's actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm actually kicking around the idea of doing sort of like the the indigenous foods of America uh, of the night of the night. I'm sorry, of the 20th century kind of thing, where it's like Tex-Mex and like different types of barbecue and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty amazing. All right, well, Tom, thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. Uh, the Meat Hook Meat Book. Out on Artisan, pick it up. And uh, what cities are you going to next on tour? Yeah, so uh, starting the end of this coming week, I will be in Madison, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas, and I'll uh, end it in Austin, Texas. So if you're uh, if you're in and around, uh, if you want to see those dates, you can actually go to the-meathook.com, and the dates are right on the front page, I think. Okay. But there's definitely there's somewhere on there, and there's all the information about that. If you uh, live in any of those cities, please come and say hi. Yeah, is the road a lonely place for a, oh, a butcher? It's so lonely. Okay, fair enough. Um, all right. Well, Fortunately, uh, there are burritos. In yeah, there are burritos <laughs> everywhere. Uh, all right. Well, um, Honeyfingers, you guys ready to play another song? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so we have Honeyfingers live in studio, and then we're back to talk with them about all things steel pedal and uh, just fucking being. Amazing musicians uh, here on Snacky Tunes. Let's do this one in C, Johnny. Ain't that funny what you do to me You're my honey as far as I can see Then you told me that you found someone new Ain't it funny what time can do That funny. Ain't that funny what you do? What you do? It ain't that funny, cause I'm so blue. I could love a million girls or two, but I'll never be over you.
I'd give you all of my money, a car or two. I'd pay your rent. Well, I'd even steal for you. I could break the law, commit a crime or two. Ain't it funny what love can do? Yeah, ain't that funny? Ain't that funny? What you do? What you do? It ain't that funny. Cause I'm so blue. I could win a million bucks or two, but I'll never be over you. Oh, one more time, Johnny. I'm gonna hit every bar in this doggone town Have a smoke, pop a pill or two Drink some whiskey and eat a big old steak too Ain't it funny what love can do? Yeah, ain't that funny? Ain't that funny? What you do? What you do? It ain't that funny Cause I'm so blue I could drink a million beers or two, but I'll never be over you. I think I'll have a drink with a girl named Sue, but I'll never be over you. I added the old steak line in there. I had to do that one. It's great. Keep on talking. That's a... That's an original that uh, That's Zeph a, wrote? Yeah. It's called Ain't That Funny. Uh, well, welcome to the show. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Uh, my name's Johnny Lamb. We have Tim Lunsell on the upright bass, and Zeph and I were singing those songs. Uh, Johnny and I met a couple months back, a few months back, uh, when you were out in L.A., or also in London for the William Moneybar show, and just uh, kind of kept running into each other, and... I really am like the steel guitar is is still kind of like a mystical instrument. You're the first steel guitar player we've had. Uh, no, wait, I have to interject. Is it? It's a pedal steel guitar, actually. This, this right? one is a pedal steel yeah. guitar. Okay. I love also love being everyone's first. So. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Never forget. Um, how did you get into the instrument? Which I know is probably like how everyone asks that question because it's so it's not that common. At least not in the world that I exist in. Well. I'm not from Hawaii, like everyone always thinks. Despite the Hawaiian shirt that you're wearing right <laughs> now. <laughs> you're really trying hard. You're like, what, what gives you that impression, guys? Come on. <laughs> um, I guess, like, I'm a Chinese kid from, like, the suburbs of northern New Jersey, and I somehow managed to, like, start playing in, like, every guitar player in Brooklyn, like, playing in, like, some kind of alt-country band, you know, like, seven or eight years ago. And then uh, I was like, oh, I can, I can like do those things on guitar, kind of. And then I bought a pedal steel and then began my dark journey. Yeah, where has that journey taken you? Um, I don't know. It's taken me in my living room, in my underwear, practicing pedal steel all day long. I guess that's it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you've played with some, you're being modest, you've played with some pretty great names. Um, well, actually, Tim gave me, I got a surprise phone call from Tim last year. And uh, I ended up doing a couple tracks on the Nora Jones, Billy Joe Armstrong, Everly Brothers record that Tim did every single thing. You know, he played bass on, and it was amazing. Wow. That was great. That's great. And how did the three of you meet? I met Tim through my girlfriend. 
and uh, we end up knowing a lot of the same people. And it took him a little while to get warmed up to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Zephaniah, like uh, he saw me play steel, and I guess we bonded over like classic steel guitar stuff. Is there stuff. is there a uh, a rash of steel pedal guitar players in uh, in New York, or is it like a a good drummer? Like it's hard to find. It's actually it's. More, there's a lot more good drummers. We'll see really, there's there's more there's more steel guitar players that are good than their fiddle players. I think. And, hey, okay, uh, so what's the hierarchy? So, I, everyone, singers first. Singers, uh, yeah. Uh, right. Okay, singers. Good singers, right? Yeah. And in then quantity. In quantity. Yeah. Probably good talk, more good guitar players. Oh right, okay. there's a, a million good okay. guitar players. A million good guitar players because everyone wants to play lead. There's, I guess. Are there a lot of good drummers? Yeah. There's a lot of good drummers. What about, like, dulcimers? How many dulcimer <laughs> players are there out there? There's a lot in Bushwick, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> they and play like, six-string banjos while they're at it. Too. I've seen a lot of that. And theremin players. I don't know if they're good, though. So where do, where do you sit in the hierarchy? I mean, you can probably... I, I feel like there's probably less than 20 pedal steel guitar players. I feel like York. this is like your, I, Tom is like your mutton guy. Like you're not gonna find it googling the internet. You gotta, you gotta get it. Oh, I, I, I've got my steel guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like I play guitar for my whole life. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm pretty good at guitar, I guess, right? I've been doing it a long time, and then, but and but everyone still, I'm just like, oh, that Chinese steel guitar player. Right. Who's not from Hawaii? Who's not from Hawaii? So how did you guys uh, decide to form the band or kind of take this route? Well, Zeth and I, right? We basically every time we would run into each other, it was like this conversation about starting a classic country band and I started doing this instrumental project called Honey Fingers which is like a, a steel guitar telecaster c- crazy fast cartoony country music band instrumental and uh, we decided to then back up Zeph with the addition of a drummer and uh, you know the rest is skinny Dennis history. I so guess. did you leave the drummer home today? Yeah, it was just, you know. Uh, Basically, I was working at Skinny Dennis, and I was hosting a night where I was DJing country records and then booked them to play, and then we actually played for the first time ever for a George Jones birthday celebration. And, uh, yeah, it's been great ever since. Wow, that's not, that's not nothing. Yeah, that's, for, that's, did that's, George Jones like it? What was it like to play for George Jones? Oh, no, and we, we had, like, I threw, like, a birthday party. Uh, I thought you meant, like, you're like I I'm going to his birthday <laughs> to play for him. Oh, man, I would, I would love to. But awesome. Nerve-wracking. Uh, do you guys want to put a play another song? Sure. Do you want to do one of yours, or do you want to... Yeah, let's do a brand new one. Why not? Huh? All right. This is a brand new one called uh, This Highway. It's in the key of E, if you want to hum along. Let's try that again. His steel is nervous. A one, a two, a one. This highway keeps going on and on. And time keeps moving right along I pray for good weather 
and for a peaceful ride. And this highway keeps going on and on. I spent 30 or more years on this road. I have many, many stories still untold. A man can never know when it's his time to go. And this highway keeps going on and on. Blowing soft and cool across my face, and my mind wanders back to that old place. Nothing ever lasts, it's just a moment in the past, and this highway going on and on Sometimes I stop and wonder just where I'm headed to And this highway keeps going on and on And this highway keeps going so great uh, I feel like the like country like lends itself more to like playing covers and like recognizing its heroes and past almost more than any other genre so how do you guys pick what songs you're going to cover in a night or how do you kind of build well, up that uh, I mean, in the old days, most of the people that were country singers, they, they weren't even songwriters, you know? Mm -hmm. So they had a lot of really great uh, songwriters in Nashville that were basically writing the songs. And as long as you had a great song and you were a face, then you could basically make a career out of it. Nowadays, I think it's like a little different. Um, now you have to do all, all of it, basically. Um, but how we pick songs, I mean, that's the nice thing is that it's... Um, the genre is kind of like, even if you sing someone else's song and you play it like pretty straightforward the same way they did it, you're adding your own kind of touch to it just in the fact that you're playing it yourself. So um, we just pick the ones that we love, I suppose. What are some of the favorites? Well, I think our first conversation was about a very famous steel guitar player, Jerry Bird, That's who right. played on like the early Hank Williams stuff. Um, he ended up moving up, moving to Hawaii. He's from like 
Ohio, and uh, good move. Yeah, at some point he, he wins. He he was like, well, I guess I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna. He's like the Howley guy that moved to Hawaii and had a good time, the rest of his life. You know. Yeah, he made like it's the best decision he's ever made. Yeah, uh, and then from there, where to kind of evolve into who? Uh... Well, they were they're um, the band that Johnny has had for a while is Honeyfingers, which is named after a song that the Texas Troubadours who backed up Ernest Tubb really famous for. So with that, we just decided to do uh, a bunch of Ernest Tubb tunes and sort of sticking in that like mid-60s era that we probably like the best. Are there any um, that are like, incre- or, like difficult to cover or just kind of hard to represent? Is it all pretty nightlife? There's a lot of tunes that are like uh, really similar to each other, but there's a couple tunes that are like you get into like that country politan kind of sound that like jazzy kind of thing like those early Willie Nelson tunes because Willie was a songwriter for 20 years almost 15 years before like 70s outlaw Willie right you know so those get a kind of you know they're not funny but they're just like not in the standard country vernacular they're they're like they stand alone as like these pieces like if anyone's familiar with the uh, Wichita lineman that song is kind of comes out of left field you know Right. Um, you know, I'm going to ask if you guys can play a cover. Okay. Does anything you guys got sure. prepared? Yeah, we have. Of course. Let's do a Ray. You want to do a Ray Price? Yeah. Song? I love Ray Price. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who, uh, Willie Nelson was actually in Ray Price's band, too, for a, a long time. I think that's kind of how we got to start. Crazy Arms? Yeah. <clears throat> we got Super Sun. Yeah. Fuck yeah. it. <laughs> He's going to do it off book. <laughs> in E. What do we do with the 1511? Yeah. You want to do 1511? 1511, 
souvenir Take all the love I thought was mine Someday these crazy arms will hold somebody new But right now I'm so lonely I could die Crazy arms that reach to hold somebody new While my yearning heart keeps saying you're not mine My trouble might not soon to another you'll be with And that's why You did great off book. You did amazing. <laughs> really good. <laughs> Ray Price would have been proud. Yeah. I kind of feel it's just, you know, let's go walking. Which is, I always thought it was a joke, but then you guys just talked about going walking, and there it is. Uh, so where can people come and catch, catch you guys playing? We play, we've been playing a lot of Tuesdays at Skinny Dennis. We, it's our regular night, but uh, I ended up on tour a lot. Um, so we're playing this Tuesday. And then you can usually catch us instrumentally on Saturdays at the gin distillery, The Shanty in Williamsburg. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you like country music, honeyfingersmusic.com or johnnyland.com has all those those dates. Look up Zeph and I on Facebook. Yeah. Just started a page. (laughs) Like (laughs) Like my page. Like me, if you will. Uh, How do you guys make the, or why do you decide to go um, vocals slash or instrumental? Or like, where do you kind of draw the line for the nights? Um, when we play at Skinny Dennis, it's with Zeph singing. So those are, we do a couple instrumentals, like the way Ernest did. Ernest Tubb used to do it. It would be a bunch of instrumental, a bunch of vocal tunes, and then every now and again he would let feature the band, you know. And so we do the similar thing. And on Saturdays, it's just, you know, it's a smaller ensemble, and it's a to- almost totally different sound. It's like kind of a, you know, it's four guys, no drummer. Does that make any sense? No. It's two guitar players, <laughs> a steel guitar player, and a bass player. So, Got it. Uh, cool. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming on. I want to make sure I get one more song in. So any more other ways to find you guys, track you guys, dates, etc.? I mean, I guess that's it, right? Find, yeah. Yeah. find me. Well, Ask well, people about the long-haired Asian steel guitar player. Yeah, that's, that's not from Hawaii. That's not from Hawaii. Uh, great. Well, Carter, I want to thank you for joining. Always a pleasure. Tom, thank you as well. Great to be here. Enjoy the second half of the book tour. Hopefully you get upstate. This hopefully, summer, yeah, hopefully got, get upstate yeah. this summer. What are we, um, we will be back next week uh, with episode 199, and then in two weeks we will have episode 200. Ooh, party with, time with mom and dad. Uh, make sure that uh, also mark your calendars. We have the last barbecue blowout of the summer coming up. It's going to be on a Wednesday, uh, August 13th. Uh, we have Sushi Co as the guest chef. So if you go to BBQ blow BBQ blowout August 2014.eventbrite.com Make sure to get your tickets. Um, we're only doing a limited amount this time, and uh, I guarantee that one's going to sell out. Sounds amazing. Uh, it's going to be great music. Yeah, it's going to be great music. It's going to be awesome, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be great. Um, what are you guys going to take us out with? I think we're going to take you out with an invitation to the blues, another Ray Price tune. It's another great. Ray Price one.
Thank you, Ray Price. What key do we do this one in? E flat. E flat. It's actually can... written by Roger Miller, I believe. Are you guys going to go walking? We're going to go walking. He's going to take this space for a walk. A little bit of a walk. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Network.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.